Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Head of Physical Performance at Crusaders Rugby, Simon Thomas. Thanks for tuning in to episode 163 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today I have uh, Simon Thomas on the show, but before we uh, before we get cracking with what's coming up in the episode, just want to say a massive thanks to Charlie Higgins from Leinster Rugby for making this introduction. So in this episode, I think Simon gives probably the most concise and in-depth answer when we talk about culture. So there's been a lot made of the culture with the All Blacks in New Zealand, and it sounds like the guys at Crusaders uh, can really articulate what it needs, what sorry, what it's taken to build the culture at Crusaders. So with Crusaders being the 2017 Super Rugby Champions, n- naturally we, we speak about what made that such a successful season for them. So we, we have a little dive into uh, some of the data that was collected during that season or sometimes wasn't collected for whatever reason. Um, we also look at schedule issues with the huge amounts of travelling that they guys do for competitive fixtures. So if you're involved in rugby, um, and even if you're not involved in rugby, even if you're involved in any kind of sport, youth sport, adult sport, whatever it may be, you're going to get a huge amount from this episode. And I, I really loved uh, recording this with Simon. It was it was great to have a, a really frank and honest chat with him. Well, there we are. We're working with with humans, and we need to kind of treat them as 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 people and show the love when we need to. Just to, I guess, emphasise that the point that we're actually here for them. It's it's about them, and it's about their performance and their career. And, and we're a tool that's here to help them, rather than um, they're doing this stuff for us. So I'm filling out this form because the trainer wants me to. I'm fitness testing because the trainer needs me to. So just before we transition over to the episode with Simon, just want to say a big thanks to Val Performance, makers of the Nordboard, Groin Bar and Hue and Track for sponsoring this episode today. So in this episode we have a brand new sponsor that I'd like to welcome to the, uh, to the Pace Performance podcast and that is Black Box. So Black Box are leaders in performance training equipment and facility design based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. So Black Box manufacture and distribute a full range of strength training equipment from Belfast. And if you want to know more about Black Box, please visit them at blkboxfitness.com. So we'll transition over to the episode with Simon. Hope you enjoy and I will chat to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So today I have the pleasure in speaking to Simon Thomas, who is the head of Head of Physical Performance at Crusaders. So welcome to the podcast, Simon. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. That's good. Good to have you, mate. So Crusaders, do you just want to talk to us a little bit about what your role is there and maybe a little bit about what you've done previously uh, and then we'll get into, uh, get deep dive into the training chat. Yeah, no worries. At um, at the moment, I guess, Head of Physical Performance, for my role just allows a little bit of expansion out of um, strength and conditioning delivery only. I, I still uh, maintain a hands-on and a programming approach um, within our within our team, but it also allows me to sort of step back and, um, and coordinate our sort of our wider performance team with some other providers just to make sure that um, I guess we're moving in the direction that we want to and, and growing the program um, as best as we can. Um, so my experience within this particular team, I guess, goes back about 10 years in, in different roles. So my first year leading the program this year, um, but for the last four years I've operated just purely as a strength and conditioning coach um, and assisting our, our other head SNC at the time and then um, and, and worked with our Canterbury team as well. And before that I worked with Tasman, which is sort of another feeder side within our franchise um, in, a, in a different competition. So And then come down and... I guess helped as a volunteer when other strength and conditioning coaches were running the Crusader program um, and helped out in the pre-season and so I've been able to see a few people come and go and lots of different systems come and go and have different effects and pull my own ideas together and it's been a pleasure to to run the program this year with some great people alongside me and 
um, looking forward to where we can take it in the future as well. So, um, yeah, so I guess for now I've been in and around the same team for, for quite a while in different capacities, so it, it, it's great to still be involved in, in further growing it. Mm-hmm. So someone that's coming to your position, obviously uh, the head of physical performance, how important was it that you've actually seen other parts of the uh, other parts of the business? Yeah, I think it's it's a big thing for me. I think when uh, when we're not in season, um, for me to be able to step back and help coordinate and align other things within our franchise. So how the two, how our teams operate, Canterbury and Tasman, and and the and the academy structures that we run, and how I can assist across those and and align everything. So I'm quite I'm fortunate that I've worked with sort of both Mitre 10 Cup teams, both academies and and this team. So I've been able to sit at each step of the ladder and have a feel for it'd be great if the team could help us with this. So now I can actually go, right, what do you need? How can I help? This is what I used to feel like I needed. Do you feel like you need that? Um, just to pull the alignment within the overall franchise together that isn't just the program for the operating team in season. Um, so I think that's probably a, a real benefit, something that I, I presented on when I when I went for the role as, as something I saw as a strength um, to be able to, oversee um, that side of things and help knowing um, having been in those positions before as well as a part of the the wider parts of the program mm-hmm. I'm just thinking because um, you guys are a franchise aren't you yeah yeah, yeah franchise okay. or I think, How... I think they're called team now but it's basically super rugby franchise which there's five of yeah yeah okay so how much influence and direction is coming from the kind of business side of things and the only reason why i say that is often especially over here which obviously teams aren't franchised but um there's obviously often a disconnect between kind of the business the business side of the club whether it be a football club or rugby club yep who are probably based at the stadium then there's the rest of the performance staff coaches who are based at a training ground and there's from from my, just from my experience, there's often that disconnect between no one really neither party know what the party is doing. Yeah, with you guys over there, is that is that very similar, or is there quite a quite a line of um, kind of reporting um, through the through the business side and the performance and, and coaching side? Um, I think, yeah, I think for um, for us, I, it was a learning for me. I came from a when I was working with Tasman, it was a smaller team. Um, of people all working really aligned um, towards one goal, and when I when I first came in, there probably was a little bit of separation between the business side and the performance side because they were in two different locations. Um, we're now we're now all in one location, and there's a real emphasis on having one team and one vision, and everybody working towards one goal together. And I think that's that's probably a real strength of our organisation at the moment with having that focus, and there's a real emphasis on it. Um, and I've seen it done really well in other organisations as well. I know um, different places we visited where people are in the same the same building or different wings of the same the same building, and everyone gets to see how hard other people work, um, even if it's in a different way. Um, and you get an appreciation for even just knowing everybody's name um, becomes a mm-hmm. massive thing. The, the the players know the names of the people who work in marketing or community rugby, and and they get a real buzz off that because we're all working for the team to get success. Um, and so I think it's yeah, it's, it's something that's become a strength because we've emphasised um, the need for it because we knew that there was potentially like a little bit of a disconnect there just from having been at two separate locations. So. Um, it, it's something that we're still looking to grow and still looking to improve because we really see it as as of value that we have one family under one vision trying to move forward together. Mm-hmm. Nice. So you're at the uh, Sprints Conference in the minute? Yeah, Sprints Conference um, in Auckland at AUT University, yeah. So have you been to, in the off-season, have you been to other conferences along the way? Been away for a bit? Um, yeah. Yeah, this this year I I, I haven't, um, but in the past I have. This year uh, there's a plan myself and my other strength and conditioning coach uh, Gareth Duda and our two physios um, for just a couple of weeks trip over to the states just to visit um, some teams and performance facilities and colleges there. So I I I got a, a role with one of our national teams, so I had to pull out on that trip and go away on tour for the last two weeks, which was great. Um, really enjoyed it. Was good learning. Um, and but the the other three went on that trip, so I'm going to get the download 
from them next week when I get back to Christchurch on uh, what they've seen and what they've learnt based on the objectives that they went away with. So uh, that's good. We'll, I'll, and then we'll bring back some knowledge from from this conference and a few ideas. And uh, we've, we've got our pre-season really well planned, but we're still open to how we can improve. And um, so they'll have some good ideas, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So I know you've only been at the Sprint Conference 24 hours? Was it for two days? Um, okay. Yeah, yes. The, today was the first day of, of a two-day conference. Yesterday, there was a. they also ran a performance and data analysts conference, which I sat in on as well, just to kind of pick up on that side of thing and things and learn. And, and Catapult um, ran a, like a, a similar sort of a workshop the day before. So I flew back in from tour and just stayed here in Auckland and have bounced along to all the different things that are going on this week. So it's been great. Mm-hmm. So often, the, uh, often at conferences, is a, I suppose when you get to the end and look back, you, you, look, you, you kind of see this a little bit more, but is there a common theme that is kind of running through the conference that, you know, based on, um, I don't know, what's going on in the world at the minute, not obviously news-wise, but performance-wise, is there is there a similar thread at, at sprints or is it a little bit of all sorts? Um, I, I guess it's it's a little bit of all sorts, um, okay. which, is, which is great, um, but there's... One one thing I really sort of noticed and picked up on is yesterday the the analysts conference is it's its first first year so it's in its infancy I think for the performance analysts and data analysts and some of them are really aligned to the sports science side and some are more on the coaching side but they're probably it was really similar to where we were with sprints quite a while back where some of us are presenting on. Um, these great ideas that we have that aren't getting picked up or taken or having an impact, um, whereas the the C crew now, it's, I think we've started to come full circle a bit more and we're saying, right, what do our players need? What do our coaches need? Okay, I'll find a way to answer that question and that's where my ideas will come from rather than um, something I've just seen and found interesting and I'll try and find a way to squeeze it in. Um, so we're probably, I'd say the, the theme seems to be that um, – within sprints all of the the providers and practitioners we're sitting more around what's going to have an impact rather than what's just interesting um and i think that's probably been a shift in the last four or five six years where early on it was um what's the latest research what's the new thing that everyone else is trying to do and then how can i squeeze that in and make a difference in my program now we're probably thinking okay what's going to fit do you think that's um more aligned with the kind of data side of things or just generally, um, I think I think some um, performance analysts are uh, getting there, and some some I talked to yesterday still seem a bit frustrated. Maybe uh, I'm doing all this work and the coach isn't using it, but potentially um, it's not work that the coach has asked for. So um, there's kind of no surprise. There's no surprise there. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, I think I think definitely as, as providers within a performance program, everyone's coming around to how well integrated and aligned and collaborative that we need to be, um, because we actually just need to influence performance and have an have an impact on it, on that within our program, um, rather than try ideas for our own sake because we want to make things interesting or we want to see if something works. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably where. A lot of a lot of high or elite level performance groups are tending to sit. Um, like we all we all come out straight off the back of study with all of the textbook knowledge, and we've got all these ideas, and we're like, yeah, it's going to be like that. And then the real world smacks you in the face, and you go, oh, okay, it's it's not that it's not that easy, or that doesn't work like I thought it would. Um, so yeah, there's probably there's there's that blend between the the coaching side and the the art side and the science, and actually the science behind the artful side and how to coach as well. So I think that's that's starting to come through as a bit more of a theme than just the SNC detail of tendons and fiber types and scans and um, things that we can be doing to improve power output by 1% when team cohesion may be the, the way that we improve our team performance. So people are starting to get that blend, I think, now, which is which is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was speaking to a, a friend of mine who works in the States and and works as part of a, a pair, um, a kind of sports science applied and um, yep. the kind of data side, data side of things. And he was saying that his colleague, who's the, the data guy, uh, does get very frustrated because he's, he's a really clever dude and he gets loads of good stuff done but it's frustrated because it doesn't actually make a difference and he's yeah. like well what is you know this we're all here to win on a saturday 
not just to make yeah. things like you're not here for your indication. You're actually here to make the team win. How do yeah. you guys, with regards to what data is collected, um, try to make a difference? And how do you communicate that up, not only to kind of coach level, but potentially beyond? Like with the kind of reporting lines that we discussed at the start. How do you make how do you make use of it? Yeah, I think um, we've we've refined it quite a bit, which I think a lot of other people are doing as well. Is is cutting back to being really simple and making sure that we're, if we're looking at numbers that are of interest, we're kind of doing that in the off season or with our academy in terms of a project. But if we, if it's going to have an immediate impact, then we'll utilise it around the program. So, um, I guess we're we're probably collecting a lot of information passively, but not looking at all at all of it. We're probably looking at less, but making sure that we use less more effectively. Um, so and and I've I've got great support with me in terms of a performance scientist um, Sean Owen. So he handles a lot of our our data collection and our monitoring, and he becomes my my filter. So I get like I get a really good picture and a couple of key points to help make an informed decision, rather than having to sift through a thousand numbers and look through the matrix. So um, and if we, if we need to look into research for something. Um, he can read those articles and put them into key points or an infographic for me and, and help us make an impact immediately based on key points or or I can say, can you look into this? Is it a value? And he can come back and say, nah. So, um, so really, it, it's great to have that support because that helps us manage our data a lot more effectively by not having to be a one-man band. That's the, the fortunate sort of side for, for my role is that I don't have to be the S&C coach and the GPS guy and the everything all in one, which uh, which some people have to do even at the highest level. So I'm really lucky to have people alongside me that can manage that data and make sure that we get numbers that we can use um, to get individual programming right for the week or for the campaign or for their progression. Um or to create good competitiveness in a session and make sure that people are actually applying the effort that we need them to, which is actually the thing that we all know makes the program work more than the detail. So is there anything specifically that you've either lost faith in, lost trust in over the last, you know, since you started that potentially used to be col- um, used to be collected and used and now is not? Yeah, we, we probably – yeah, we probably screen less. I know our medical team, they, they screen less in terms of just routine screening um, if, if they're just going to keep it on file and not use it. So if they screen someone and someone um, passes that really effectively, they just won't screen that again. They'll probably screen more individually. If someone has a calf history, we'll screen around the calf or um, those sort of specific areas rather than having a, a blanket approach and trying to find things to fix that may not need fixing. Okay. Um, yeah. I had, had a, some fascinating conversations with uh, when the Cirque du Soleil were in Christchurch and we, we got to go backstage with them and watch them warm up and prep and talk to their physios and um, and, and talk to them about, okay, well, do you screen? And they thought, no, no, I don't because I work with circus freaks and if, if I see something that <laughs> needs fixing and I fix it, then all of a sudden they fall flat on their face because they can't do what got them here. So there's actually the ways that their bodies have trained to – work around these strange movements that shouldn't be possible if uh, if they then corrected them to to proper form or, or posture and took that away they wouldn't be able to do what they do anymore so it was there was a good there was a good eye-opener and that, I guess that aligned with some of the things that our medical team were thinking of um, I guess we've, we've stripped back what we're looking at in terms of GPS we just want to make sure uh, we're getting enough mileage often enough to keep resilience um, that we're sprinting weekly to get dosage and exposure to, to high speed running and accelerations uh, we'd like to potentially measure um, multi-directional load more if we could just because of the difference between I guess topping someone up with straight line running is a hell of a lot easier than putting them out into a team training or a, or a game um, and so we, we might not really be matching the demands that we need to by giving guys extras in just straight line running which is traditionally what we've probably done so that's probably an area we want to measure better and improve um, We'll utilise uh, we'll utilise Jimaware a little bit around uh, velocities in, in session for competitiveness, but also just to check um, shifts or where players are at. But I guess not as not as much as we have in the past. We pick a couple of key exercises that we utilise every week on our kind of our game day minus two power day and do those regularly as routine. Um, 
Yeah, so I guess it's probably been more of a process of refining things down. Um, we haven't, I don't, what, what have we used that we don't use anymore? We used RestWise a little bit to educate some first-year players What's around up, sleep and recovery. Um, wellness measures, we've really cut down on the questions that we're asking in terms of wellness and, and well-being. And, um, well, we've just cut that down to three questions of how are you physically, how are you mentally, and and health status and that will just prompt us to ask a question and talk to the person face to face to dig a little bit deeper so mentally you're a bit flat okay why okay had a fight with the missus at home or the baby's not sleeping or rather than having them fill out in a questionnaire i slept nine hours of a quality eight and my nutrition was a four and my tightness in my right calf is that well we we prefer to get that face to face now i guess so so that in the moment we can have the conversation show a bit of love um, and make an immediate adjustment to a program if we need to, rather than having to sift through a spreadsheet to find it. So was that a purely time-saving time um, issue, or um, was that because you just weren't getting value from the myriad of questions that you were asking? Yeah, I think we by cutting it down to three questions, we get better adherence um, with our with our guys, which is just which is a reality. Um, and, and also, I really wanted to emphasise face to face connection and coaching between our performance and wellness group and our, and our players and our, and our athletes. And um, rather than uh, them typing something in and then seeing if a result comes from it, if you're sitting next to them and you've got some eye contact and you can look we can walk in and see a player who's usually upbeat when he turns up is sitting down eating cereal with his hoodie up in a corner by himself that kind of tells me enough that, that he's a bit flat that day and I've probably gone just check on him and see how he's doing and look there we you know we, we're working with with humans and we need to kind of treat them as 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 people and show the love when we need to just to I guess emphasise that the point that we're actually here for them. It's it's about them and it's about their performance and their career, and, and we're a tool that's here to help them rather than um, they're doing this stuff for us. So I'm filling out this form because the trainer wants me to. I'm fitness testing because the trainer needs me to. Actually, you're doing it for yourself because you want to measure where you're at and you want to make sure that we can help you um, get to where you're trying to go. So I guess it's a a bit of a, a an athlete ownership, an athlete centred model as well, which is the idea behind it. Mm-hmm. So I just want to chat a little bit about pre-season and you're planning for pre-season. Yep. What's, what's the main goals of pre-season coming up for you? When's, when's it start? Um, our pre-season starts, we, we get three weeks um, in December, so our players start to come in in a couple of weeks. So we'll get three, three weeks of training pre-Christmas uh, and then there's a two-week Christmas break where they go away and train on their own wherever they go. Um, and then we have three weeks of training post-Christmas before our pre-season games start. So um, it's, it's, a, it's slightly different for each franchise depending on how many All Blacks you have, I guess. Like we've, we've got a number of players who have gone away on end-of-year tour for All Blacks, Māori All Blacks or Barbarians. So we'll be missing about 20 to 22 players of our proper contracted squad for, for that whole December block. So we um, we replace those guys with some academy players and some younger players that we want to develop, um, and and put some time into them. So December for us is probably more skill development um, and finding out if anybody needs to catch up on some physical qualities before we get to January and, and February. So um, and and December for me as well, just create a place that the guys want to turn up to every Monday. Make sure we have a bit of fun with it, um, and we enjoy working hard when we do work, but. Um, they don't want to feel like they're being dragged in every Monday because if you can make it a place that people want to turn up to um, and they don't want a day off, um, then, then that sits you in really good stead for um, for the rest of the campaign. And the in-season, because it's nine months long for us now between February and August, is actually where we need to get probably our, our best work done. Um, the pre-season lays a foundation, but... Um, I, I don't want our players to be at their peak in February for round one. I want them in the, at their peak for a final, and that's where they want to be at their best too. So uh, we probably do a little bit less in the preseason than we used to uh, to get commitment to doing more in the in-season than we've done in the past. Mm-hmm. That's, inter- that's interesting. So when things ramp up in January? Yeah, what, Jan- what ramps, January what ramps, what ramps up? Um, I'll, I'll, there's probably a, a lot more of the 
the tactical and, and, and team-based work because we've actually got our team on board. Um, so there's a, there's a lot more connection of our team and team cohesion based on how we play our game. So I guess traditionally in, in the past when seasons were different and it's not that the, the model was wrong because it was right at the time, it's the season's now changed, so the model's changed. We... We have rugby content in our pre-season a lot earlier because the, I guess the reality is that um, they're rugby players and we're trying to win a rugby tournament. So if we make them better at rugby, that should be quite successful <laughs> by, <laughs> by, by, by logic. We could, we could develop the best athletes in the world and hold all the records in the country, but if we can't catch pass or play as a team, we're not going to go so well. So um, I mean, there's, there's definitely some there's, – if, if we get the strength and conditioning program wrong, then we – we do set ourselves up to fail, but if we get it right, it's no guarantee of winning. So um, we definitely uh, we get a lot more rugby content into our preseason now than potentially than we used to. Um, and again, it's laying foundations and building resilience to a training load that's going to have us get better between February and August. Is that different to where, where things you've seen elsewhere that people are going heavier in the preseason to go lighter in season? Um, I think it's a model that definitely worked. It worked for Crusaders during the Super 12 era. Um, it, I mean, Ashley Jones and, and guys like Mike Anthony that put it into place. It was, there was it, it definitely worked. I think during uh, the modern, this modern Super Rugby um, era, we've, we've looked at what what are the the Highlanders and the Hurricanes done and the Chiefs done to to win in more recent years, um, and they're, they're teams that have got better as the season's gone on. Um, and they've potentially trained harder than what we were maybe two or three years ago during the in-season. Um, it's hard to put your finger on it. Team, teams, you've seen teams become successful when they've built a culture and built an environment and they've, they've really invested more of themselves into growing towards a common purpose. Um, even when the Crusaders had their first success, they, they didn't have many All Blacks. But they they built a culture and they built an environment, became very successful, and then became full of all blacks off the back of that. And you've seen we've seen the Hollanders and the Hurricanes and the Chiefs do that in in recent years, build a culture and get success off the back of it. And that that's something that we really went back to. Um, don't try and carry on something of the past. Invest in building something for the future. Um, and that's probably winning hearts and minds and and driving um, towards that vision is probably more effective than whether we do cluster sets or straight sets or drop sets in the gym. So, um, yeah, I guess um, to come back to the question, it's probably something that other teams were potentially doing better than us and and we knew we needed to improve. Um, And it wasn't just this year, it was probably last year and the year before we we wanted to move in that direction because the logic would tell you now that... um, the season's nine months long instead of three months on. You can't just maintain for nine months and expect to be in good nick for a final. So it's going to take a very quick interlude uh, after part one with Simon. Part two coming up, we discuss uh, creating a competitive environment in training using uh, different types of technology. We also discuss the uh, structure of a week in season and maybe how that differs from other people and other places that Simon has seen and had exposure to. But just before we do get into part two, I just want to say a big thanks to firstly Val Performance and Blackbox for sponsoring this episode, but also Force Decks. So if you are interested in a Force Plate hardware and software solution, please visit forcedex.com. So every, nearly every person that I have on the podcast is a Force Decks customer. Um, and that's certainly not by design, that's just because Force Decks uh, are everywhere. But if you are interested in knowing more about Force Decks, well, not only Force Decks, but jump monitoring as a whole, visit episode 139 of the Pacey Performance Podcast, where I interview Dr. Daniel Cohen, who was one of the uh, co owners of, uh, of Force Decks. But it's certainly not a sales pitch and goes into a lot of detail with regards to the ins and outs of jump monitoring. So over to the episode, sorry, the part two with Simon. I hope you enjoy. And again, as I say every week, I would love your feedback. I hear it a lot with with people who come on the podcast about building the culture. And I'm still 
I'm, I'm still. I, I know it's such a um, a hard thing to actually quantify how that is how that builds, but it does. Um, and you guys over there with the All Blacks we get a lot of publicity for it. Um, but how do you, as a physical perform, uh, head of physical performance, your one of your main aims is to build a culture. What do you do? Like, what is on the what's on the list of things to yep. tick off? Two yeah. things you've been successful. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 a tougher, it's a hard one to I guess to make it something intangible, tangible. It's it's critical that we've 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 got a few players and coaches who have been involved in success before, and they and they know what success looks like. And you you start to get on a roll, and and they start to say things like, "Okay, there's there's that special feeling here that I've felt before, and I don't know what it is, but you can feel something building." And then someone else says it, and then someone believes it, and then it just carries on, and it builds builds from there and, and people believe um, in terms of the the culture for us the the bedrock in terms of our organizational values stays the same but how I guess we've adapted how those are represented to suit the the changing face of our group um, and, and the people and the personalities that we've got within it um, but there's like there's um, got Michael Henderson who um, who studies culture and and he's so we, we utilizes sort of some of his work on how we put things into place. So we we um, it, it's coach driven. We've got a we've got a, a visionist head coach, um, and he he's an expert at bringing people together using storytelling, and um, and we, we tie ourselves to a story and a theme um, each year, and it, it takes us away from everything being just about rugby, um, and it, and it gives a little bit more excitement. And I guess for me. Um, one of the things I I enjoy doing, and it's it sort of partly why I'm in the role that I'm in, is um, is how to how to drive and how to make that tangible, and whether it's cutting up video that aligns what we do to what the story is that we're trying to tell. Or um, there was a presentation in the analysts conference yesterday from um, there's a couple of great operators that have come out from the EIS, um, over, like the Institute of Sport over in England with Great Britain. They worked in cycling and with some other sports in the Olympic campaigns. And yeah, and they'd, they'd done similar things around um, that they had players who, they had all these stats, but the one thing that the players were asking for is, oh, when's the video montage going to be ready? Because that really gets me up and motivates <laughs> me to go out and cycle. With, like, but it, and um, and you could see when when they were presenting, like they were really passionate about what they did. And um, it's the you know, the old quote, like people don't care how much you know, and, and unless they know how much you care. And you could see how much they cared about what they did, and and to make sure that it fit their athletes. So us us for culture, it's how we saturate our environment with our values, um, and hold each other accountable to those values, but also. Um, if if we if we're aligning to a theme and a story, um, what, what does that sound like? What mu- what music? What songs do we choose to use that the words align with those things that we're trying to achieve? What symbols do we have up um, in our team room, in our shed, in our gym that that align us to that? What do we do with our space? What does it smell like? How do we celebrate the significant things that are also significant in that story, so that our team kind of genuinely believe that we're on that that journey of that story that we're that we're telling. Um, and uh, whether it's a, a you know it's about a sports team or a significant event in history, that they're actually oh that that's us. We're 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 on that same path. We're going to glory, you know. So it's um yeah. I mean it, yeah, it, it creates belief in it and it and it binds a team towards a common vision. And um, like it, it takes a lot of leadership from a um, a charismatic head coach um, for us, mm-hmm. but the rest of the management team to do the same and to have a really good leadership group that. That buy into it. I mean, the, the players the players pick it up and drive it. They start choosing the songs. They go out and get singlets and hats and things made, and and they they just start to saturate the environment with this the story that's pulling us all together, um, which whatever it is for the year. So, um, I guess that's that's a big part of how how we do it and how and how we did it this year in in particular. Some things just so they just pan out really poetically to align to the story, and all of a sudden everyone believes. So. Winning, you can't really argue that winning helps. We we won a few games along the way, so all of a sudden, everyone thinks what you're doing is magical, and and um and they believe. So, um, yeah, that's I guess success breeds success a little bit, but it's important that our group uh, they were great at not being complacent, but making sure that every day and every week they were trying to get better. Mm-hmm. So, incredibly successful year last year. 
what was what was the story what was the theme that ran through the year that now everyone believes is the right thing yeah oh, we like we it's it's a different one every year we've done we've done okay. some with Canterbury, Canterbury in the past like we've done the 95 96 Chicago Bulls um 72 and 10 but that don't mean a thing without a ring um and 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 a lot of Phil Jackson's coaching concepts and wove a lot of that stuff in um, there was another another season with Canterbury where we'd done the the first successful march to the South Pole, uh, which was when we were going for our sixth title in a row, which no one had done before. So it was about going to where no one had been before, even though they'd tried. And and the philosophies that 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 got that um, expedition to be successful. And and this year it was a boxing theme. And and yeah, so this year it was me, we, and we were all all in together. And um, yeah, there's a little bit of Muhammad Ali in there and, and things like that. So each year there's a different story and, a, and a, um, something that we, I guess, we figure out what our vision is for the year and then we find a story um, to align it to and then we keep that story um, in, internal just for us, but hopefully the people watching on the outside just see how tight and connected it makes us. So Nice, I like that. So just going it back. It seems to work. We Absolutely. won, so it seems to work. But yeah. if it does, yeah. Keep it going. Keep it going. Yeah, yeah, you never, you never know. You can never quite put your finger on, on why. Like we've, oh, we've, we've got, we've got some really good people, and sometimes you get the bounce of the ball, and sometimes things just go your way. And um, but you, you like to think that um, some of the stuff that you're doing is working. <laughs> Absolutely. So with the amount of traveling that you guys do, how does that fall in line with your philosophy of Doing more in season rather than loading it front end in the preseason. Yeah, that probably that that's uh, that's drives how I would periodize, I guess, or, or plan our our season is um, when does the draw take away the opportunity for us to work hard? So when do we have a Friday game? We lose a training day, or when do we fly to South Africa? Um, or have our first week in South Africa or Argentina or Japan or wherever we go, where where does the draw compromise our training week? Um, okay, great. We know that it is what it is at those points, so we know where we want to focus on before and after that preloading and reloading and making sure we get our work done because there's, there's going to be peaks and troughs um, in terms of our training weeks in the season um that i i don't really plan where those happen the draw plans where they happen and then i work around them so um when we get a good seven day week or an eight day week we work hard and and we we get a lot of work done in the front half of that week the back half of the week is always a performance routine so that's always the same um for the players that are playing Uh, but when we get a nice long week we use the front half to get a lot of volume um when we get a shorter week we probably like say the, the volume goes down, the intensity goes up, we probably just get a little bit more work density in the front half of the week. If we fly to Africa, we know that we land, we can't really train the first day, so we recover, get a lot of clarity, and get a lot of energy and connect as a group um, and gradually build ourselves through the week. Um, but the second week on tour this year, for example, we we were we were in Africa, so we thought I thought bugger it, we'll get some good work done. We're at altitude. Let's just use it as a training stimulus and and thrashed us for the week. So um, it was a great it was a great opportunity to get it because we knew we lost a training week, a full training week the week before, and then we flew home and played the Hurricanes, which was a a, a big game, and we weren't really going to get to train much that week. So we had to use that week in Africa to to train hard, and um, and then you know we played in five countries in five weeks or something like that. So we, we knew we were traveling around a lot. So the weeks that we weren't, we really had to get maximum value out of those weeks. Um, yeah, this, this next year's draw coming up looks pretty good, actually, to be honest. There's, there's, um, there's some good weeks in there. We're going to be able to work hard a lot of the time. Cool. So you mentioned creating an environment that breeds the, the competitiveness, especially in the gym. And you said that you were probably using the gym aware gym aware a little bit less than you used to. Is was there any reason for that? Um, I, I guess we probably use it less less often or um, in less detail, just so that it doesn't become a distraction. Um, but that um, when we really need it to be effective, it's there, and people are competing against themselves or against each other. I guess the the best way to drive competition is selection because that's what all the players are there for. They're there to play and and whether they get selected or not is the key driver for their competitive edge. 
Um, but in training, they still like to win because we've got some competitive animals and they still like to get better. So um, we, we sort of pick and choose our times where we want them just to focus um, focus internally a little bit more on just getting better um, and being technically better. Or um, And then there's times where we go a bit more external when you're competing against others and you're looking at some immediate feedback to get the numbers in. Um, we'll kind of use that a little bit later in the week just to really prep them for our um, our main on-field training session where our players who aren't playing go as hard as they possibly can to bash up our um, our players who are playing to prepare them properly for the weekend for what they're going to come up to. So um, we sort of need to prime up pretty well um, for that session and get the competitive juices flowing before uh, they get out there. Well, that's the theory anyway. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So is there, a, is there a specific structure that you stick to in terms of, say, you have a, I don't know how often this happens in Super Rugby, but a, a weekend game, so a Saturday to Saturday, if there was that structure, what's that week look like? So where do you bolt in the, the gym sessions and what do them gym sessions look like? Yeah, a standard week structure for us in season would would be Saturday Saturday. Um, so we'd the the Monday morning is about getting up to speed. Um, it, it's that's sort of based on the game from the weekend. So if somebody played eighty minutes, had a high collision, a high running load, they'd have a lighter Monday morning where it would be a little bit more recovery focused, depending on where we were in the season or what they needed to do. Um, but usually that that's catch up time for anybody that didn't get maximum exposure out of the weekend. Um, so the the Monday morning for us, there's a medical check-in window um, after we meet as a medical and coaching group to plan and get aligned for our week. The players have a, a two or three hour window to get in and, and what we just call get in and get your shit done in whatever order fits you best. So they'll get their, their main lift done in that time, which will be a, a lower body or a full body strength, which will just be a, a basic lifts strength session for quality um, they'll get either straight line running top ups or what bike or some kind of conditioning top up depending on what they need done in that time period um, they'll check in with nutritionist with mental skills with medical they'll have a one-on-one with a coach if they need it they'll sit down do their individual analysis on the laptops um, so basically by lunchtime they've kind of sorted all their individual shit so that they're ready to go for team in the afternoon um, and then in the afternoon we'll meet as a team and then just walk through some some clarity, I guess, of the adjustments we want to make or the way that we want to play. Um, sometimes if we haven't run in the morning, we'll play some conditioning games or some small-sided games off the back of that to get a hit. It just depends on which week it is in the, in the season. Uh, the Tuesday, a Tuesday morning, if players um, want to get in early, they can get in and get an upper body lift done first thing. Um, those that want to do it later in the afternoon um, can. So they, they have an option of where they do that second session. Um, and our main our main rugby session is a Tuesday morning. So we make sure that we get game exposure out of that session. So we aim for two hours on feet. We want to get a game's worth of running. Um, and everybody needs to get some collisions and hit max velocity within that session somewhere. So we just want to get those exposures into that main session before we go into our day off on Wednesday. Um, the Tuesday gym is probably a bit more individual needs, so players that need a bit more speed work will get a bit more speed work there, players that need more of a metabolic or a circuit hit um, to get conditioning or strip some fat off will get that, players that need another strength session or an upper body hypertrophy based session will get it, so I guess the Monday lift is probably more generic squad strength um, and then the, the Tuesday is a bit more individual needs. Um, Wednesday is a, a recovery day. So based on where they're at physically and mentally, they have individual plans of what they'll do in their own time for their recovery day on the Wednesday. Um, a Thursday, early in the campaign, we do a double field session day. So in the morning, we'll do an hour of just low pace kind of rugby clarity, people in the right places sort of session on the field. And then after that, we go in the gym and do more of a power-based session with accelerations and um, and jumps and, Olymp- and Olympic variations or whatever the, the individual programs are. It's more of a speed strength, um, sort of a power-based type primer session um, so that when we come back in the afternoon, we train on field intensely for one hour. Um, and that's our, where our non non players go hard against our team and, and prepare them as best as possible and we try to um, execute against what the uh, uh, the opposition is going to do against us so 
Um, and we try to do that under pressure and we're making sure guys are running from one thing to the next. And I guess we, we try and hit some worst case scenarios in terms of ball and play time and, and things like that within that session. Um, so we get a conditioning hit out of that. Um, the more we can term work ethic as getting what you need out of the time that you've already got allocated rather than having to come back later and do extra, um, that's where we'll, we'll look to try and get a bit of density and get it out of that session. Um, later in the campaign, when we come back from the All Black test window, um, those guys have been away from their family quite a lot already. Um, so we, we cut the Thursdays in half and just do one field session in the morning and give the afternoon for guys to go home. Um, just a, a strategy that, that's worked for us. Um, there's a bit of give and take with our players that, that need a bit of time there. And, and we've become more efficient with what we're trying to do by that time anyway. So we're refining it. So rather than doing two hours on a Thursday, we'll do an hour and a half in the morning and, and then let them get away. So that's probably an, an adjustment, but that Thursday, the mindset sort of stays the same. Friday's a pretty light run through. Um, Player-driven, captain-driven, coaches tick things off in terms of just, it's it's low pace, but it's just going through final movements at the stadium and then Saturday's game day and we're all on. So um, I guess we, we try to reverse engineer everything individually for the players back from game day um, and on a seven-day week and make sure that the two days leading in are always routine so that they have a performance routine that they follow and gives them consistency, which gives performance. And then the, the day or two days before that, that day off in the front half of the week is about banking as much work as we possibly can, um, depending on how much the individual needs it. And when do when, yep. when does the, when does the, when does the team get picked? At what does it get picked in a, um, uh, on a Friday? We, we're fortunate. Our coaches select our yeah, our, our coaches our coaches select the team on a Monday. So um, in, internally, our players know where they sit for the week and they know my job is to be exceptional this weekend on the field or my job is to be exceptional at preparing my teammate to be at his best at the weekend, but I still need to be ready in case someone falls over and I need to know stuff so I can I can jump in and jump in and play. So I think that that really hits um, it, that works for our team. Other 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 groups may be different. Other groups might like to keep a bit more competitiveness and guys fighting for positions through until later in the week. Um, for us, there's there's no best, only a best fit. And for us, the, the best fit is our players knowing early in the week what their job is and then nailing that job. Interesting, very interesting. But I'm going to. Uh, I did hear a story. Sorry, I'll just I'll say a random, no, random up, story. Who uh, was working with a with a with a soccer a football team over in the UK somewhere, and he, he sort of mentioned that the coach, the team didn't find out until game day whether they were playing or not because the coach felt they needed to compete for positions right through the week. So they would actually um, have a team meeting on the day of the game and they would get on bus A or bus B oh. and they would know whether they were playing or not by whether the bus went to the changing shed or the, or the back of the stadium. So <laughs> I, f- I found that absolutely fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I mean, the, the, yeah. Co- the coach drives that philosophy, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, my my understanding, especially in, in in football and soccer, is that you'll know the you'll probably know the team like Friday morning because you'll do set pieces yep. and things. So you need to know obviously who's in there. But yeah, there's been scenarios in my experience where no one, like you say, no one. You know the squad, you know the sixteen, yeah, or you know the eighteen, yep. probably eighteen, and you're gonna have two left over, um, and then you'll yep. walk in at half past one before a three o'clock kickoff, and the team's on the board. Yeah. So you just normally it was me looking at it and walking straight back out because I'm not on it. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, until bang before the game. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think that the person I was talking to at the time, he he felt that it was like it was a cultural thing. They felt they knew Absolutely. if they named the team early in the week, that some guys would just sign off for the week and wait till next week. So hundred um, percent. Yeah. yeah. So we're we're pretty fortunate that we 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 don't have to have to deal with that but um yeah like i say there's then then you you cut the cloth to fit your environment and your people and that's where you start from who do we have that determines how we're going to play and how we're going to operate and then that'll determine how we're going to prepare so um yeah so uh, that but I, I, it was an interesting story it's one of my favorites <laughs> yeah well it's we're already over time for what i promised you but um <laughs> no where, where can where can people keep up to date with what you've got going on are you a are you a social media guy are you, are you out there a little bit or not 
Yeah, I, I don't have a massive social media presence. I probably put more stuff out through, uh, probably out through LinkedIn, just to connect with other professionals. Really, I um, I, I tried to get an Instagram up and running this year to put some stuff out there, but I, I couldn't be bothered keeping up with putting things on <laughs> it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess Twitter, I probably. I probably follow and read more than I share uh, on, on Twitter, and um, I, I, I guess it's probably more out through um, yeah, through LinkedIn or chucking the occasional thing up on on YouTube, or just jumping jumping on these and sharing information and listening to podcasts and things. Really, is um, is something I find really really valuable and really useful, which is. The work that you're doing is great. It helps us all learn from each other when we often get stuck in our own office or gym or silo on the other side of the world, sort of thing. So, um, yeah, so yeah, so I think, um, yeah, yeah. Apart from these, it's probably just out, out through there, really. Or um, anyone's always welcome to get in touch or come through and see what we do. There's no secrets. It's all open doors. So, sweet, cool. Well, thank you very much for your time. Good luck at the um, the second day of the conference tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, and especially with uh, with pre-season coming up and uh, and obviously good luck for the season yeah no hope, hopefully that one goes well that's the that's the that's the big thing that counts so we'll see how we'll see how we go but um yeah we've got a lot of we've got a lot of uh, people returning so it's going to be good to to have them on board and trying to get better cool well thanks again mate really appreciate you coming on and uh, like you say keeping that um oh this that you're uh, happy yeah. to share what you're doing. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's great. Thank, uh, absolutely. Thanks, for, uh, for, I think, for running um, things like this. It's awesome for us all to keep learning from each other and without people like yourself actually putting it in place, we all have the idea, but we probably don't share as much. So um, so I really appreciate the fact that, that you're doing it and allowing us to share and learn from each other. All good, mate. My pleasure. Speak to you soon, mate. Thanks a lot. Cool. All right, cheers. Thanks for tuning in to episode 163 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Simon. So massive thanks to Simon for giving up his time and being uh, very open and honest with the kind of things that are going down at Crusaders. Also massive thanks to Val Performance, Forstex and the brand new sponsor for the podcast, Black Box. So if you want to check any of them out, valperformance.com, forstex.com, and blkboxfitness.com. So I've got some really good guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. Don't forget to subscribe on your chosen podcast player, and I will speak to you in episode 164.